0: Welcome to the Destination Discipline Podcast. I'm your host, Gage Harness. This podcast is about diving into the lives of individuals who want more out of themselves and life, sharing stories and exposing the highs and lows of individuals and their journey in becoming the best versions of themselves. It is our mission to give you optimal information over topics on mindset, fitness, nutrition, personal development, entrepreneurships, and fresh perspectives to help you become the best version of yourself. Now, let's show Welcome back to the Destination Discipline podcast. I'm your host, Gage Harness, and today we have one of my favorite teachers of all time, Mr. Eric Krueger. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me on, Gage. I'm stoked. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, of course. And I will say, like, whenever I was asking a bunch of people, you really stuck out because truthfully, I, I didn't talk about it before we actually started recording. But um, you actually have had a pretty large influence on my life with some of the things you've said, especially when I was in school. And plus just like raising confidence in me and losing weight and all of that. So I do appreciate it. Thank you, man. I'm
1: very happy to hear that. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Course. And then I guess there's one little side note before we got started. There is actually one person that you remind me of a bunch. And I hope this compliments you, but it's it's Jocko Willink. Have uh, you ever been told that?
1: Uh I have I have never been told that, but I am very familiar with Jocko. Um, I love his mm-hmm. podcast. I actually was uh so confession, I was wearing a discipline equals freedom shirt just before um and i was like oh i don't want to be like a, I don't want to be corny so <laughs> i took it took the shirt off and replaced it with one of my mulvane wrestling shirts i'm talking to one of my mulvane kids you know um mm-hmm. but that is funny that you told me that i i am not I'm very flattered by that jocko is a awesome dude i mean so driv- driven passionate a well-rounded guy uh as well as just uh you know brave courageous great leader all those things um and uh, i've I mean, I'm. I've listened to hundreds of his podcasts. Uh, while you see me out running, um, or uh, or anything else, or while I'm driving to work, I'm listening to a Jocko podcast most of the time. So that's. Uh, I take it as a compliment. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Yeah, he he's a legend. Like you guys, yes. even have you have like the same structure of the face. I'm telling you, like <laughs>
1: square head and the voice, barbarian face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, man. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank yep. you yeah I, I, I take it as a high compliment jocko is uh i mean shoot he inspired me in many many ways um I, my my wife joked with me once she's like if they say you are you know the combination of the five people you hang out with the most she's like jocko is definitely one of the people you hang out with even though you guys don't hang out i was like yeah you know that's i i could see that i could see that' been a fan for a long time
0: cool yeah. So before we get a little too far ahead, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, what you do and everything?
1: Uh, I teach high school. Uh, I've taught middle school um, before. I uh, shoot where to begin this? I'm I've been teaching 14 years. Uh, I got into it later in life than many people normally do. Um, and uh, but it's awesome. It's uh, extremely rewarding. Um, I taught in Tulsa. I actually I began my teaching career with an organization called Teach for America. Um, they take uh, people with degrees and put them in classrooms where uh, it's very difficult to fill fill holes with teachers. Basically, so I got sent to Tulsa, um, and I taught in North Tulsa. For anybody who's familiar, it's rough neighborhood. Long story short, uh, I met my wife there through Teach for America. Um, we got together, we've been together ever since. We moved to Austin, Texas, taught there for a while through a, a charter school called KIPP. Uh, very, very intense, um, <clears throat> similar mission to Teach for America, uh, a little bit more intense and regimented. And when we started having kids, we uh, my wife's family is from the Wichita area, Mulvane specifically, a lot of them. And uh, we came up here so our boys could be closer to family. And I began teaching at Mulvane High School, which is where <clears throat> I met you uh and i've now moved back into the kind of urban high school environment i'm at wichita east and uh you know it's it's uh as i hope you know gage i I put a lot of myself into everything that i do um and i don't do things unless i really think they're worth doing uh and i love my job and and have (laughs) tried try try my best to authentically deliver you know what i can there Mm Anything else? No, I mean, that sounds important stuff out. You know, I like, hey, like to strength train, um, athletic train. Um, I've uh, been an assistant wrestling coach. I mean, um, what do you call it? Amateur podcaster, amateur artist, um, reader, writer, all that stuff. I have a lot of interests.
0: Don't you do weddings now? I saw that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you do? Yeah. Yeah. Officiating weddings. Well, that's, I mean, that is uh, where, we're gonna see where that goes. Um, I, I've done one; it was really cool. It was uh, just super, super awesome, and I'm ex- I should have a few more uh, this fall, and I'm pretty excited about them. So that's sweet. Yeah. So you're you're kind of like a jack of all trades. <laughs> it sounds like I, you know, I was a I'm a student of humankind and the liberal arts. Um, I believe that art, whether that's reading or writing or other kinds of creation is what really separates us from the animals. <clears throat> um it's uh, it's the it's the best it's the best part of humanity. And I and when you know and things like love and passion and, and all that stuff. It's um I, I feel like the more I connect with that and the more I uh I I try to broaden that connection through history, through different kinds of literature. Um, I, I feel like the the better and deeper and smarter a human I become. Um and it's uh, it's not only like super rewarding, but I I really it's I think it's it's made it easier for me to understand people who think differently than I do. Um and uh people who think and who who've done things with their lives very very different from mine um but uh you know when i read what they write or i i see or experience something they've created or you know, officiating a wedding you you get up close with uh an incredible human connection between two people that you don't even really know but you you feel what they're feeling you know it's it's uh and it's there's nothing else like it in uh, in creation basically and it's uh, it's just a cool thing I, I feel like I get to connect with the the best the best things about people hmm. I really like that about how
0: well everything that you just said but about how the arts and creation and all of that that's what separates us from the animals that's that's really interesting um but uh what what subject do you teach in high school? I don't think you mentioned that
1: no I did not good uh follow-up I teach English right now I've I've kind of gone back and forth uh, in my career between English and history I'm certified in both and spent m- many, many, many hours uh, in deep with both. That's uh, my favorite thing to do with my free time. read history, read literature uh, or you know just do do stuff related to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's right now I'm teaching English and will be for the foreseeable future, I think. Uh, really. And he's well, yeah, or at least until I really miss history and then I'll go back. That's, that's what happened at Mulvay. Yeah. Uh, it was, it really, I really enjoyed teaching English, um, but uh, that history position opened up. I was like, oh man, I haven't done history in a while. So, you um, mm-hmm. get back on it. Yeah. Where, where'd you go to college? Um, uh, I spent my undergraduate years at Cornell University, um, which was an incredible experience uh just incredible experience. I and it's tough for me to get in too. I, I I never would have gotten in out of high school. I didn't have the grades to do so. Um and it wasn't until uh I got out of high school and really started to think about what I wanted to do. And at the at the time my kind of my dream, which I didn't really think was attainable, was to be a college professor. Um and uh I I started to get it together. I, I actually spent my freshman year at University of Texas at Austin, um, and uh, just worked hard to get my GPA perfect and kind of really start to get behind the idea that, look, man, if you want to be a professor, you gotta you gotta expand your mind. You have to you got there's you gotta know a lot more things. You need to you need to be in an environment where you can really get deep into this. And I had this idealized vision of Ivy League. That's what the Ivy League was about, um, being surrounded by the smartest people and the, the hardest working people academically. And that if I could be around that, it would just it would um, <clears throat> just make me a, 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 a better person, kind of. Um, that's what I wanted to get out of it. And I'll tell you what, that's exactly what I got out of it. It really was. Um, I got in through transfer uh from ut austin i i managed to meet a couple of uh, people at uh, at cornell um i was uh, dating a cornell uh a girl at the time um we were in a long distance relationship and hey let me just say full confession i was also motivated by you know it was just just, just a fun thing there i mean i was i was motivated by getting out there to be with her but also by the fact that um i had uh she really believed in me as somebody who could succeed uh, at any school or as a really smart person. And I didn't I, I didn't have the uh, in high school, I didn't have the confidence um, or not until very late in high school. Um, I was always at first, I was a really small kid, constantly bullied and picked on. It, it affected my confidence. Um, I got into athletics, finally hit a growth spurt, met this girl. I mean, a lot of stuff happened for me and, um, she's like, you could succeed here. Um, you could definitely succeed here. You don't have to, you know, if she's like, if you want to stay at a state school, that's fine, but you could do well here. So went for it, got in, um, uh, spent three incredible years there. I just had my 20 year reunion actually. Um, so that was, that was pretty awesome. I hadn't been up there in several years. Um, but got done with that. Um, took me a minute to get into graduate school. Um, went actually, ironically, totally not uh, intentionally. Wound up going back to Austin, Texas, for a gra- uh, for a master's degree at UT Austin. Um, and uh, it was again super cool experience. What I did find out there was that what I think I really had to wake up to what being a professor meant it didn't mean necessarily you were the the you were teaching the deep well so you're teaching the deepest level of material on history and, and literature you're going deep with with people on that but um if you want to be in academia you have to publish constantly you have to write constantly um the you there's just all sorts of ways you have to play the game in academia um that did did not interest me anywhere near i loved the research and i actually loved um i had to be a teaching assistant for um uh, a low level english course for non-majors so these were not uh, people who were into english but they had to take uh, this english course at ut for uh, their graduation requirement. And I got to teach sections of that class to these kids who wanted nothing to do with reading or English, um, and it was uh, it was awesome. It it quickly became my one of my favorite things about graduate school. Um, and when the time came to, you know, I was getting my master's, um, and the 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 plan, the academic plan, is to advance to PhD uh, and work from there. I was like, okay, PhD is going to be basically 100% writing. Um, it's going to be another few years of my life. It's going to be all sorts of stuff. Um, and uh, I, I don't know that I want to do that. I don't know that I want to be a part of academia. I know I want to teach for sure now. Um, but uh, that that's what kind of germinated the idea that I would go and teach um, teenagers. Sorry, mm-hmm. long winded answer. <laughs> no, it's it's good. Um, Feel free to edit that I won't be offended. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: No, it's interesting. Um I think that going to Cornell was probably a giant wake-up call for sure cuz especially growing up in sounds like smaller towns and everything is that right? Uh medium.
1: I mean, so I'm yeah. I'm from New Jersey, oh, okay. um which is very densely populated. Uh and it's you don't have everybody who knows your business, like in a classic small town scenario. And in fact, in a lot of ways in New Jersey, people, you can kind of get by anonymously and no one necessarily knows who you are unless you really make yourself known in some way or another. Does that make sense? hmm Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we go well you taught at a small
0: school so i i only know what it's like to know everything about everyone so but um but that kind of leads me into my next question um what's your what's your favorite um story of history that has influenced the way you think and if you had to write about it maybe what would that story be oh man
1: <laughs> that's just too many to count um there's been a bunch if i had to pick one you said the influence the way i think mm-hmm. yeah um
2: it would probably be
1: the rise of success and decline of the roman empire that would probably be now that's a huge story first of all i'd i without any parameters on exactly what story i can pick um it would be that probably uh it's just uh i grew up super interested in ancient history and at first it was all like myths and stuff like that and then i got into the history part and um i, I was super into like stories like stories of freedom there was like uh there was a there was a book series where this is this book stories of freedom and it's all about people like throwing off imperial op- oppression uh throughout history and they're all cool stories and i remember them all man and i've gone super deep on research i've gone from that kids book as an adult super deeply researched all of those Um, and I really kind of, there were a couple of them that involved people who were rejecting the rule of the Romans. Um, and at the time, and even as a, as a teenager, I really, I was, I was with those people 100%, man. Um, you know, and a part, a big part of me still is, I I believe in self-determination and all those things. Um, I, I, I believe in that, uh, it's. And you see these Romans and their uniforms and their perfect ranks with their state funded imperial army. And it's like, ugh, you know, forget that, you know, the forget those rules, man, you know, uh, forget these, forget these empires. And that was 100% my idea. And, you know, it, it still is. I believe in freedom, I believe in self determination. But as an adult, I've come to studying more and more about Rome. I've come to realize just what we owe the Romans who who built the foundations for our law for rule of law. I mean they built that for us in in western Europe um which created the conditions for people to have concerns about things like human rights and and phrases like self-determination um which is you know, a, a Roman soldier would never have understood that necessarily, but neither would the the, the Germanic tribes. They were conquering, kind of. I mean, they, they would have some expression for it, but it wouldn't be this thing codified in a legal document and guaranteed like we have uh, in, in our Constitution. Um, you know, the Romans stole a lot of stuff from the Greeks. Uh, it's just as well through stealing it and copying it and copying it and copying it. We are able to get a hold of it now in a way that uh, we're kind of lucky. You know, when Rome fell, uh, when the empire crumbled, lots and lots and lots and lots of history and and science and all sorts of material was lost forever. You know, those books got burned. Um, The people who knew how to read them were too busy surviving to teach classrooms full of children how to read them or even necessarily to teach their own children, how to read them. Um, And uh, civilization, I, I was able to see kind of retracted in a big way. And it really, it influenced how I thought about things where I said, geez, as much as I don't like empire and kind of forcing a system onto things and people having to pay by play by certain rules uh, without it, we would all be just like those Germanic tribesmen, um, and there would be no such thing as human rights, or the, your opportunities in life would be very limited. Your your life itself would be short, and chance would have a greater ability to kill you. Um It just really, it really influenced me in that way. And if I had to write about it, I would want to write about that almost like a, uh, as a warning to people who live today and get to take essentially the benefits of empire for granted, because this is an empire that we live in. Um, The world's resources flow here to the United States and they flow here cheaply. And we turn on the, we flip a switch. We've got power. We go to a grocery store and we've got packaged nutritious food. We we have all those things on the cheap and easy. And we're completely disconnected with, um, you know, how to acquire those things, how, you know, how necessary all those skills are um and it, you know, it, it's been wonderful it enables us to be the people we want to be and study the things we want to study and advance human knowledge even further it's awesome but it could go away <laughs> it could go away um we talk well empires rise and fall you know it's like yeah and you know what for the civilizations they're built on it sucks when they fall and uh civilization itself loses a lot there's just a there's a balance to that um and that story you know, when I look at, um, you, you pick up a copy of like, like famous Roman historian, Tacitus. I mean, this is a guy who had a huge influence on just what being a historian even means. Uh, and he wrote during, uh, he wrote during a period when the empire was at the height of its power. And you see this book and it's Tacitus and you're like, wow, look at this thick book that this guy wrote. How cool that we can, we can read it right now. But You actually come to understand he had probably 20 more books, just like that. And they're all gone. They're gone forever. Um, And this one, this one that we have was pieced together from two or three different copies of copies of copies of copies that just happened to survive through the ages in some private library or stuffed in some basement. And then in one case, at least, was pulled out of a basement in the 1400s or the 1300, 1400s during the Renaissance, the beginning of the Renaissance. And, uh, you know, someone's like, Oh, wow. History of what, you know, and, and now we know about this whole, uh, it, we have an important source on that <clears throat> on Rome at the height of its power. It's like how much other knowledge has been completely lost because there wasn't a civilization there. And in some cases, a well-funded empire to preserve it to keep it in place and to pass it down because that's expensive and it requires deliberate behavior and requires rules too man (laughs) you know um it's without those roman legionaries conquering big sections of europe and bringing them into roman civilization we maybe don't get the system where we have those things so yeah that, that's how I would answer that question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's it's kind of hard to follow up with that because there's a lot to unpack. But the one yeah, thing that I think... That. No, don't be sorry. It's, it's interesting because I think that a lot of times people take all of that stuff for granted. And um, yeah, it's kind of hard to follow up with that. There's a bunch. Um, yeah, so I guess now that we... We got a big history lesson right there, which I actually I thoroughly enjoyed. Don't think I've taken that for granted or anything, but I Good. feel like I I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I feel like you kind of live that barbaric type of lifestyle. You follow Jocko; he's very hardcore, and I think that kind of influences a lot of the training that you do. Because yeah. for people that can't see you, you're you're a big guy, and. I'm just kind of curious, what is your training like? Because I, I know it, but they don't. So, could you just talk about your training and all of that?
1: Sure. I uh, I I like strength, um, strength, functional, athletic performance, and uh, just use the word uh, "barbaric." You know, it's um, I I want to be prepared for uh, for whatever physical situation life could throw at me. You know, um, whether that's to, you, you know, the, something bad and it's, there's something heavy and somebody has got to come out of the crowd and pick the thing up. I want to be able to do it without even thinking about it. Um, or if you know, you gotta, you gotta run. Um, I, I want to be able to do that too. Uh, you know, it's, I don't know if you're familiar, but like the story of the original marathon, um, the, the 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 birth of the marathon was in uh, ancient greeks fighting the persian empire and the persians were invading with a huge navy and a huge army um and uh battle of marathon in 490 bc uh the greeks whooped their ass totally uh and no one was expecting that they were outnumbered um uh heavily outnumbered uh, but the greek uh, hoplites were just way better troops than the uh, the persian kind of conscripted almost slave soldiers. Uh, so the Greeks whooped them. Um, but uh, the, the Persian Navy had wheeled around the other side of the harbor of the city of Athens and was was blockading it. And the city, the Greeks were afraid that if they didn't get the message to Athens that they had won the battle, that Athens would see the huge fleet and would surrender the city to the Persians. So they took this runner Phidippides, um, and he ran as fast as he could, 26.2 miles. That's the distance from the beach at Marathon to the gates of Athens. That's why it's 26.2. Um, oh. He he was a good runner, and he ran the he ran that distance to pass the to to make sure Athens didn't surrender. And they credit him kind of with saving the city. So. There you go. More history. It's, it's stuff like that, man. Um, if, if I got to take off running for five miles, I want to be able to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. if if I got to be out in the woods for several days, I want to be able to do it and not be bothered by cold or by sore feet or by fatigue, or, um, you know, I got to move a log out of the way. It's no big deal. Uh, so I mean, shoot, do I plan on doing these things on the regular? No, Um, but if I'm going to train, there's no question like the, the physical and psychological benefits of being a trained person. I mean, you could, you could, you could fill several books with those benefits and many people have, uh, but, um, I want to be inspired by something in my training. And it's, it's that kind of thing. It's kind of like that ancient warrior to your point, Mm -hmm. um, uh, level of preparation. Um, I do, uh, I train out of my garage. I have a barbell set with bumper plates um i've got kettlebells that i use um and uh i do uh i'll run i'll run hills um and i'll do uh i don't know if you're familiar with the phrase like ruck marches where you you take a you just load up a backpack um and you get out there and uh try to keep a four mile per hour pace for eight miles um Mm uh or it's and or just straight running and i like to you know i i guess you could call it barefoot running i don't i don't know uh I, i've got those minimal uh what do you call them Sa- minimal sandals squaraches um where it's just this little strip of uh, it's a strip of vibram really uh, good rubber but it keeps my feet super in contact with the ground uh it toughens up my feet it builds up my uh you know it's good for my calf muscles and muscles in my feet um mm-hmm. so that's so lift um Lift, march, run. And that's about it. Yeah, you
0: just um, you're well-rounded. You're a hybrid athlete, basically. Have you yes. have you heard
1: that phrase? Okay. Yes, I have. Yeah, that's a yeah. I think that's a good term for it. Yeah. Hybrid athlete is a very good term for it. I'm I'm kind of curious. Have you ever heard of Nick Bear? I have not. You haven't
0: heard of Nick Bear? You should really look into him. How do I think you spell your last name? B-A-R-E. Oh, okay. And uh he is, he's also kind of like one of those Jocko guys. And he also, he has a heavily, he has a big influence on me too. Um, his saying is go one more. And whenever I was losing all that weight, cause I don't even know if you knew about that. Like I, I did lose, I lost 107 pounds actually.
1: Wow. I did not wow. know you'd lost that much weight. I could tell you were looking way trimmer, but I wasn't sure. I
0: wasn't yeah. Sure. I, I'm, a, I'm a little heavier now but I'm at a healthier weight. I'm not as like, what's it malnourished? Cause I was kind of yes. starving myself. But, um, anyways, have you, have you ever thought about like the world's strongest games, the Highland games, go rock, all of that?
1: Of course. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I actually, um, as a total amateur, not trying to sound like something I'm not, but, um, I, uh, shortly after I met, Um, my wife, I competed in, the uh, Highland games in Tulsa in 2011 in the lightweight, uh, division. Um, so I, I love Highland games, man. I got, I got my, I have my, my kilt and, uh, and what's it's called open tartan. So I, I don't have an official clan affiliation, but they have some different patterns that are recognized as open patterns. So I got my black watch kilt. Um, and I mean, Highland games is a blast. Uh, I'd love to do it again someday. I think it I think it'd be really cool. I you know, I think I was uh to really train for highland games, you got to have those implements, you need some space to train with them. Um so it's you got to find somebody who's got the implements or you got to buy them, which is expensive. Uh and uh you need space to train, you got to have somebody who'll train with you who'll really kind of give you the pointers. Uh, you can uh you can watch YouTube and things like that, but uh it was I for me it was uh, it was too many hurdles to jump to get where i wanted to be um i still wonder i do still think about it though go ruck i've uh, uh did i tell you i've done a go ruck event no, no. yeah in yeah, 2015 um i did one i was actually uh me and the other wrestling coaches um going to do one last year and uh i blew my knee up and then i blew my back up <laughs> it was so bad man it was, we but I was like, God, fellas, I for real can't go, um, which I had a little shift in my training, but I definitely want to get back and do another one. Um, I, I keep that stuff in mind. It was, uh, Go Rock was a really cool experience uh, down in Austin, Texas. Really enjoyed that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was, uh, I Learned a little bit about myself too. It wasn't wasn't even that bad. I kind of I would like to do what they call a heavy event next time, which is twenty four to forty eight hours, um, and uh, the completion rate is way lower. Uh, so I'd like to do that. Um, but and strongman, I do. I used to love strongman, um, love strongman, especially in my early twenties. Um, but I've got a, I don't know if you've ever watched World's Strongest Man. Uh, they, they do events with the. You ever heard of the apollon's Axle? It's a yep. really thick um, really thick bars, like two-inch uh, diameter bar um, for my garage training. It, my wife is so awesome, man. She signs off on stuff like this, and it's just it's amazing. I I got myself an Apollon's axle bar um, that I that I can train with. That you can just load with with regular plates. You get that extra work uh, in your grip. So hmm. all three of those things, um, I'm I'm here for it, hundred percent. For, can you, can
0: you, can you talk about like the training for a go ruck? Cause I know what it's like, but the people listening probably don't. So could you talk about I mean, the training?
1: So you need to be your know, general physical preparation. Yeah. You, know, you gotta be able to do, uh, you, you train your push ups and, um, body weight squats, preferably with a loaded backpack or a sandbag. Um, and, uh, I, I guess. The big thing is just getting comfortable being uncomfortable, because um, <clears throat> like uh, the event I did, it was uh, it was like nine o'clock in the evening till eleven thirty in the morning the following day, and you're just I mean there are little tiny breaks here and there, five minutes, ten minutes, uh, where they tell you to you know take your ruck off and eat a little bit, but otherwise you are constantly in motion with that loaded backpack, and sometimes you're doing PT um where they're putting you through you know the push-ups and the bodyweight squats or overhead presses with your backpack um sometimes you're you know your team carrying logs or your team carrying you know other things so it's uh you build up your strength build up your endurance um i think practicing with a loaded backpack is, is you know doing ruck marches and things like that that's really important uh, if you've never walked around with 40 pounds on your back, um, you can put it on. And you're like, okay, this is this is all right. It's no big deal. If you've never done it before, an hour later, it's something you need to practice up to, I think. You know, it's just a, let alone 12, 13, 14 hours later where the straps just start to pull on your shoulders. The, these tiny muscles, comparatively tiny muscles up here just start to get really tired um and then it just becomes a, a physical misery to have the thing on and you you want to be prepared for that you get comfortable being uncomfortable um so yeah i'll it's yeah i'll, I'll do those eight mile um I'll, you know marches basically where uh i i'll be out for two hours well really if i'm being honest two plus hours i'm not I'm not keeping a four mile per hour pace for eight miles. Not yet. Anyway, that's the, that's the goal. Um, I do pushups with the backpack on, um, I do walking lunges with the backpack and a sandbag. Um, and again, it's just, am I training for GORUCK? Yes. Am I becoming a more physically prepared individual for things like, I mean, I love mountain hikes. Um, and it's, I, I like hike all day mountain hikes, uh, you show up to the trailhead at uh, seven thirty in the morning, and you're going till the sun goes down, um, and you've got a loaded backpack the whole time, and it's three thousand feet of elevation gain or four thousand feet of elevation gain. Um, I, I love that stuff. Uh, so that's what that training is like. Okay. Yeah, you were talking up my alley
0: hundred percent. Have you have you ever looked into like Leadville one hundred those ultra marathon
1: races or anything like that before? I, I don't know that ultra marathon is my speed. Um, it's just, a so I read a lot about the body and stress and training, um, and, you know, where the benefits are. Um, it's the ultras just seem like something you're going to pay for later in life. Does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> you know, It's just a 100. So I know a guy who uh, I I met at that GORUCK event who is, uh, I mean, he's amazing, uh, just a a physical, the guy's just the Energizer bunny, Um, and he does ultras uh, all the time, and he has been severely damaged by ultras, but he's a super happy looking healthy human being uh, he just got done with the tahoe 200 and posted about it on social media which he completed in 73 hours um and he got 3 hours of sleep um the the whole time and he's 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 running this race or he's doing it as best he can um and i mean shoot he's a vegan uh and he he, he looks good um so you know I, I think about him i'm like well you know maybe other people can do that and it's no big deal but um i that is a little bit too far along the endurance level of the spectrum for me Um, Hmm. i don't know that i could keep the levels of i couldn't dedicate as much time to pure strength if i was also training that hard for that kind of distance running um, and especially at my especially at my age, you have to start to begin to think about okay, what's my priority? Because when you try to do, we try to make everything your priority, you get injured. Uh, and I've had a few of those um, where it's like, okay, dude, you can't, you know, um, do hundreds of pushups and train strength in bench press, and you know, do burpees and 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 your your elbows just start to your elbows just start to hurt. <laughs> Um, it's just, it's too many repetitions on my joints. And maybe that's, Hey, I'm not saying it can't be done by anyone. Maybe I just took poor care of my joints uh, in my twenties and early thirties. And now I'm paying the price, but, um, I, I, I do have to prioritize my training. Um, and I'm like, man, if I were training for ultras, I, you know, I would have to make some really hard choices to get rid of a few other things, uh, that I do. And I don't want to get rid of those things. I like, you know, um, I like heavy kettlebell training um, or I, you know, I, I like phases with heavy deadlifts and squats. Uh, and uh, I, I like to continue to make progress in those. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of mentioned it earlier when you were talking about the the go
0: ruck, but you said that you pre- you kind of proved something to yourself that it, it wasn't as hard as you thought yeah. it would be. And I'm kind of curious, what what is the hardest thing you've ever done? Not only with training, but just life in general uh oh gosh talk about physically or in just in life life in general i'm curious uh
1: the hardest i guess it depends on how you define hard um Like, so take that GORUCK event, for example. I've never been pushed physically for that length of time um, at that level of intensity. Like, physically, that was probably the most difficult 12 hours I've ever done straight, you know, Mm -hmm. or or whatever you want to call it. Um, You know, as far as, I mean, having four tough matches at a wrestling tournament that's miserable (laughs) um that is uh incredibly difficult um uh, especially like i don't know you just you have a close one and you lose that and then you get destroyed in another one and now you got a couple more to go and you got what are you gonna do man lay down you gotta you gotta figure out a way to buck yourself up and and um and uh and get out there and win and continue to wrestle hard. And it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. Um, You know, as far as gosh, hardest thing I've ever done. um, You know, I think when I got into my thirties, I stopped, at least I stopped doing things or attempting things that I was not really prepared to do. Does that make sense?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think for a lot of people, certain things are really hard because they try to do them and they're totally not ready. Um, they're psychologically crushed by it. They're physically destroyed by it to the point of throwing up or passing out or having rhabdomyolysis or, or whatever it is. Um, and I don't do that. I I I I, I kind of think it's stupid. Does that make sense? It's like... Uh, if I'm gonna um, and I have I'm fortunate enough, I've never been presented with a situation where I had to do 10 days straight of something super, super, super hard, and I had no choice in the matter. And I had to live through the torture and the misery of my body not being uh, not being remotely prepared. Um, so you know, I, I really, if I know I'm gonna have a go rock event, I'm, I'm going to be training for months just to to be tougher. I I'm, and in my training, I'm going to low dose those really tough moments, and I'm going to start to string them together so that uh, I'm I'm ready for being pushed really hard for hours at a time. Um, and uh, you know, it's uh, same thing with um, some of the like some of the endurancy style things I've done with kettlebells. like I train up to it so that when I, when I get there, when the test, the time comes for the test, it's really, really hard still, but I'm not totally overwhelmed by it. You know, like I, I don't, I don't want to die. It's, it's, it's just, I'm taking another step or, or two more steps, maybe out of, out of where I've been comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, so, you know, I, I, I can remember the first time I, I deadlifted over 400 pounds. I can remember it really, really well, but you know what? It wasn't because it was hard. It wasn't, it was though by the, I had trained and prepared, had, you know, done my low rep range, you know, uh, high, high percentage intensity deadlifts that uh, by the time I decided to pull, uh, w- with four plates on either side, I mean, sure it was tough, but, um, it, It wasn't that I wasn't maxing out, man. Like I probably could have slapped 20 or 30 pounds more even then on, and I would have been okay, but I'm not the kind of person that's going to slap tons of weight on a deadlift bar. I don't really know if I could do it. And then I'm going, you know, and it's like, and you risk an injury. Yeah, Um, I I don't do that with my squat bar either. Um, It's sometimes you see people attempt things and you could see they're not close to being ready. And then they blow a knee out, or they injure. Or, barefoot running, great example. Blow up your foot. Um, you, you, if you don't work your way into barefoot running, you'll severely damage your feet on the first day. And you get it's, so. If I'm if I'm going to try to run a race in my bare feet, and I've never run in my bare feet, that's going to be the hardest thing in my life, and the recovery time is going to be horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so you ask about the hardest thing, it's probably, it's something where I was completely unprepared. Um, and, uh, you know, that would have to be, it, w- it would all be psychological situations. I think at the end of my first major relationship, which was 11 years long, and it ended very abruptly and I was totally unprepared. And that was, uh, I mean, that was two years of my life that I was, um, just in really rough shape. I, I had a certain way I thought my life was going to go. Uh, and I was confronted very, very starkly with the reality that how it was going to go was not like that at all, um, that I was going to have to think of something totally and completely different. Um, and I wasn't ready for that. And it was a rough, <laughs> that was a rough year to two years. Um, so it's, it's just like you say, hardest thing I've ever done. Hardest thing I've ever done, not physically, was having to reinvent my life when i had such passionate conviction that it was going to go one way um and then had to to come to realize that it was not going to go that way mm. um so hey and in that way i'm super fortunate man you know super privileged um i i have never you know it's i'm not dealing with what the people in ukraine are dealing with right now and cannot even imagine you know, where you get a bomb dropped on your house and your two beautiful kids are killed um, and your community is destroyed and you need to get the hell out because it's being invaded. And what do you do now? <laughs> um, you know, you can go to some Western aid station and they'll feed you for a while. Then what? I mean, I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, uh, you know, I imagine things like that. Or I think of some of my, in my history stories, some of these mountain guerrillas uh fighting the Russians in Chechnya for five, six, seven years where you're, you're living off of smuggled in candy bars and beef jerky, suffering through mountain winters of below zero temperatures for years and years at a time. I just, I mean, it's, it's, I try to keep that in perspective whenever I'm going through something that I imagine to be hard or difficult.
2: Hmm
0: that that's really powerful um i think i think i've had a moment here recently where life kind of just told me no in the same way you did where you had to reinvent yourself especially with this firefighting because it it kind of took me by took my breath away and i was terrified for i'm still am especially with like the surgery going on here soon I'm i'm kind of scared to see where life is going to go but holding that perspective of it could be a lot worse is, is really, I mean, it's just, it's just good advice. So.
1: Well, and um, you still live in a country where you have a lot of power on exactly how you want to make yourself um, mm -hmm. and how you want to reinvent yourself and where you want to go. And it's a, it's a cool thing. Not take, not trying to take anything away from the position you're going to be in recovering from this knee surgery, man. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's just
0: part of it. But, um, just to kind of transition, um, you've talked a lot about,
1: Hey, can I have one more thing? Yes. One more thing on that, on that injury and, and, and bouncing back. Don't let them scare you by the way. (laughs) All right. (laughs) With, with what you can do. I mean, you, you get through your recovery period and do what you're told there, but don't let them scare you about how limited you're going to be in your life necessarily. Okay. I've, I've heard countless stories of, I was told I was never going to do this again. Um, and and then, you know, two years later I was doing it. You know, they tell you that because they don't want you to be an idiot and go out there and do this thing. And then you can come back and say, well, you didn't tell me and I'm going to sue you because you didn't prepare me to recover. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I uh, tore apart the cartilage in this wrist doing power cleans when I was 23 years old. Um, and I was, I had this orthopedist straight up tell me I was never going to lift heavy weights again. Um, it was, dude, I was devastated. I, I, I just thought of it when you were talking about like gearing up for this knee surgery and what's gonna happen afterwards. I mean, I was devastated. Um, I, I was like, I cried uh, in the doctor's office. Like, you gotta be kidding me. And you know what? It's complete bullshit, <laughs> you know. Total B. I I mean, I had I had to go through my recovery process, and I was very careful with that. And um, I, I did my therapy, and I was careful with that. And then gradually, I started with a couple of push-ups, and then I got to a bar, and you know, and and uh, I wound up completely, fully recovering within within two years. I was back to where I was before the injury. Um, hmm. So don't, if you hear any big pronouncements like that, don't necessarily let them limit you. Mm-hmm. now that I rudely interrupted your transition. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> go
0: right ahead. <laughs> no, you're good. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that again, but um, I was just kind of curious, and this is like a question I've asked everyone I've interviewed, but uh, what are three values that you live by each day?
1: Oh, gosh. So you immediately think of what are the things so i think the key word there and it's such a good word is live um not not three things you believe in three things you actually live on a day-to-day basis um i think that's a it's a very important distinction um man trying to get better every day whether it's a little bit smarter or a little bit stronger or a little bit more durable or a little bit more accepting of when my child is whining and recognizing that he's a little kid and little kids whine and don't have much control over what they do um and uh it's you know, if you yell and scream at them, you can change their behavior kind of, but it doesn't, it's actually damaging to them. You know, little things like that. It's like, how do I, a value I really live by every day is you. Know, when I get to the end of the day, I just want to know I'm a little bit better today than I was yesterday in some way. Um, and and I, I really think I live that every day. Um, sometimes much to my wife's annoyance, you know, it's like, babe, I haven't done anything all day. She's like, that's fine. Okay. Like, you know, you enjoy life. That's good too. <laughs> you know, um, it's, uh, uh but it, it's things like that, uh, a little bit better today than yesterday. Um,
2: Doing good
1: things for the sake of doing good things. Um, I, I really do think I, I live by that. I I try to do good things, and I don't. I don't imagine them working out for some kind of reward for me in any way. If that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. um, like like, uh, go ahead, this, this selfless kind of. At least in some way, you know, or you know, not or not self-centered. Um, where, you know, like I didn't get into teaching for the money um or the benefits or the summers off. Not that it's a lot of money, not that it's a lot of money. Um, but um and I can think of a lot of times in my career when I, I could have gone in a different direction, um, and it would have benefited my life in certain ways but it would no longer have adhered to, I just want to do good things with my life. Um, I want to do good and important things, you know, and I got to get the bills paid, of course, especially when you're taking care of a family, you know, the breadwinner for a family, you got to get the bills paid. So of course that's always going to be a thing, Um, but uh, it's, if that's happening, if that's okay, then the doing good things is going to be the number one priority. Um, you know, and it's, uh, you know, like, uh, training kids at strength. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to, to pass on a little bit of what I know about training, um, for, uh, for high school kids. And, um, to watch them get stronger and watch the carryover to their sport and watch the carryover to their life. Uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful, awesome thing. Um, and it's, it's taken up hours of my free time to be able to do that. Uh, and it's, uh, but it's, I really enjoy it. (laughs) I was, I was up at the school at six 30 this morning doing it. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, I I get to the end of it and I I, I can feel myself thinking like, man, this is the kind of life I want to live. You know, Um, this is the kind of life I want to live. I wish, you know. I don't know what I wish, but I definitely enjoy it. Uh, So, yeah, those are two, two big things. And you know what I, I would. Yeah, you know, I've got a third one. Which is, I don't know how to describe
2: it. It's to, man, trying to put this one into words. It's to be
1: a thoughtful citizen. And that means citizen of the United States, but it also means citizen of the world. Be thoughtful, ask questions. And, you know, so example, I made it a priority to uh, to buy American clothes, uh, to buy clothes made here in America um not just to support the american economy although i do believe in that uh but also i i just you look at a really good american-made shirt and it's x amount of dollars and you look at a really good shirt with the tag that says made in bangladesh or made in sri lanka or made in china or whatever it is and it's less than half the price uh and i think For most folks, they're fine. Oh, cool! Lower price, all the way. I got to go with the lower priced item. I got bills to pay. I got, you know, he said while knocking down his sixth beer. You know, it's just a, you know, I got I got questions about that stuff. Um, It's, it's. I'm like, why is this shirt? Why are these shoes? You know, why is this product so much cheaper? How could it possibly be way cheaper to have the thing? made 10,000 miles away and then put on a ship where it takes up cargo freight and all the rest of that, take it all the way here and then truck to the store. Um, whereas if somebody wanted to open a handmade T-shirt place here in Mulvane, they would have to charge $40 to $50 per shirt, man. And they're, they've they got your shirt right there. There's no transportation at all. And you know, it's it's through asking questions like that, I'm like, oh, well, there's a reason for that. You know, it's um, these people in these other countries are working essentially for slave. It's it's close to slave labor in a lot of those places. They have little to no other choice, um, and they're being completely exploited by these companies um, that are you know just raking in tons of of dollars. <clears throat> And satisfying themselves with the thought, "Well, this is providing a job here, and it's tough for these folks to find jobs, and it beats subsistence farming." Um, well, you know, maybe it does. First of all, but you know, there, there's a lot of stuff we got rid of here in this country for good reason. You know, we got rid of child labor. Um, we got rid of really unsafe factory conditions, um, and it's but what we did was we like shipped it overseas and now we're exploiting it that way. It's like, we recognize that it was wrong, but you know, as long as we don't have to look at it in our own country, we're cool with it. And it's, it's, I try to be thoughtful about stuff like that. You know, when I, when I have a, I'm getting my food I'm like, why is this food so much more expensive than that food? I mean, those questions will lead to certain places too. Hey, hey, sometimes it's BS. You know, why are certain clothes more expensive? Sometimes it's for hipster reasons. I don't need to pay hipster premium. Um, hmm. or when food is more expensive, sometimes it's for fad or trend reasons. It doesn't mean you should buy the more expensive food. You know, nobody needs acai berry to survive, you know? Um, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, you take the difference in price between 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef that's raised on a pasture, like a cow is supposed to be raised, as opposed to feedlot beef. Way more expensive. It doesn't even taste as good because there's less fat on it. But the nutritional profile of those two things and the effect on the, the environment and our natural resources of those, of those two things, night and day difference. I um, mean if you're just looking at price and you're choosing not to think man that ain't going to be how I live that that that's a value I try to live by I I I see these things and I ask my I ask questions like why is it that way I not that it necessarily means it's bad or it's evil or or that I'm definitely going to disagree with it but I I want to know why uh and I I wish more people were like that you know yeah that
0: is you were very interesting. I like that last one was very interesting. Um, Thanks. There's a lot of, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of people like, especially my age, I see it where if one person says it, that's, that's the truth. That's what happens. That's, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. But uh, I, I don't want to take a whole lot of your time, but I'm kind of curious, what is your diet like? Cause I I'm big into learning about that grass fed, grass, finished, wow. beef, uh, seed oils learning all about all learning about that, but I'm kind of curious, what's your diet like?
1: Oh, there's certain people and kids who know me who are, if they ever hear this, they're going to laugh right now, but they see me eating avocados raw with a spoon or drinking extra virgin olive oil out of a container. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Hey, I do not, this is not the way I don't, I don't insist on people living this way. Um, But I do, I I've been big into, uh, you know, health, food health and stuff like that for a long time. Not that I'm perfect, by the way. Um, I just, I try to limit uh, the amount of junk, um, really, really limit it. And And more importantly to get, uh, just to make sure I get the right nutrients. Um, uh, you know, I eat sweet potato, extra virgin olive oil, um, uh, avocados. I mean, I, I eat less of those now um because they're just not a really practical plan i won't bore you with the details there but um lots of greens tons of greens kale um uh you know things like kale spinach um uh and i one thing i've been into or i've I've been exploring because i'm convinced by what the studies have to say on it is uh what they call intermittent fasting Um, So when I'm on my best, uh, like during the school year, it's super easy for me. I'll eat once a day. Um, I will get up in the morning, have water, uh, drink my coffee, black, um, and uh, go to work, work all day, Uh, come home and I'll have one uh, pretty sizable meal and that's it. Um, And I'll I'll be chilling with my family and talking and uh, just enjoying the food for hour or two. And that's it. Um, and that's, uh, it's, I feel awesome. I feel awesome being that way. Um, I, I don't eat a lot of sugar. Uh, I, I just, I, if it comes in a box or a bag, I, I, I really don't eat it. <laughs> Basically. I, I cook, um, I, people will laugh. I cook chili. Um, I've been, I mean, I've been making chili for 20, 20 plus years. I, I don't know how many weeks I've gone without making chili. Uh, it's. Uh tastes good, get your protein. Um, you add extra flavor. If your grass fed beef is a little dry, um, you can spice it up in other ways. Uh, dude, I eat chili all the time. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. where I have my primary protein source is, uh, is chili. Uh, hmm. So, um, and every once in a while, other stuff. You know, my lady and I'll go out for a date and I'll get a burger and I don't feel bad about it because I barely, you know, it's, I'm not one of these 100%. <clears throat> psychos where it's like I'm going to completely cut all grain out of my diet. I'm going to completely cut this this and that out of my diet. Um it's a, again it's like I try to just slowly move in the right direction week after week, year after year. Um it's like, you know, okay, I'm I'm done with this now. You know, I I haven't had a McDonald's burger in 10 years and I doubt I'll have another one, you know. I just I feel no temptation or compulsion to get fast food burgers in the slightest. Whereas when I was 21, that was a big deal to kind of try to give up fast food. Um, It was just, uh, it was like, okay, this is gonna be step one. I'm gonna move off of fast food and little bits of improvement here and there. And so, Mm -hmm. and I I got started on fasting where I was doing a eat everything in an eight hour window. That was, that's the classic IF. Um, And uh, I was doing that first on and off, not that great but I, I recognized that I felt better when I was that way. Um, and uh, gradually I got on that and I was like, dude, read this some cool stuff. Eat once a day. You know what It's most people in this country eat, not because they're really hungry because they're bored. Um, they, they want that hit that, they, that that good taste gives them. It's like, I don't want to be a slave to that. Um, it's a waste of money. Not good for my health. Um, it's uh it's just, Again, not the life i want to live <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: um it's uh so yeah that's that's eat my greens good quality protein good quality oils meaning extra virgin olive oil and like uh like fish oil or in my case you rec- if you listen to jocko podcast you'll recognize krill oil um, mm-hmm. which uh doesn't uh, you're not um sorry to be gr- but like you're not burping up fish oil it's i don't know if you've ever taken fish oil capsules but it's that's one of the noted side effects. You're like burping up fish stench uh for while you're digesting the fish oil capsules, which is sure. just it's it's gross, man. But krill oil does not have that side effect. So uh, same health benefits, uh, that doesn't have that side effect. And to me, that's worth the extra money that you spend on the krill oil.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So I guess now this will be my last question. Um if there's anybody listening right now, what would you tell them if they're going through a really dark time? They don't really know what to do with themselves, or maybe they they want to get stronger, they want to get mentally sharper, or they're just being ungrateful, kind of like you were talking about. Um, what would you tell them? Or what would your advice be?
1: Uh, how to say it without sounding cliche. cliché it can be good it can be you know um the storm will pass this too shall pass and it sucks to say something like that because they're in the storm and it's beating the hell out of them and it 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 almost like you're not honoring you're not honoring that human heartbreak or that human self doubt or the, and yeah, everybody goes through it. But when you're going through it individually, something like this too shall pass. It just pisses, it just makes you mad. It always made me mad, you know. Um, it was, it's tough. So it's like, now it is true. It does pass. Um. And you will not be quite the same person that you were. Um, and that's all right. You know, it's it's good. It's not good, but it's it's good to hurt. It shows that you're alive, that you care, that something was really important to you. And I think that's a that that's a that's a big thing. Where it's like, if something was so important to you and you lost it, I think too many people, what they take from that is that they shouldn't let that happen to them again. They shouldn't be that vulnerable. They shouldn't be, um, that they shouldn't invest so much time or passion in something that could hurt them like this. No, disagree you know, disagree. That is what makes you human, man. The, the, if your heart's getting broken, it means you care. It means you're alive. It means you're not a drone. You're not some person going and um, just kind of muddling your way through life and not thinking or feeling too hard about anything. Dude, those people, they get to the end of their lives. They regret it. They regret it. Um, it's, uh, so when you said going through a really dark time, typically really dark times are, are, you're dealing with some kind of loss, whether it's a loss of a person or a loss of who you thought you were going to be, or a loss of like I was talking about, like how you thought your life was going to be. Um, it's, you know, you you let yourself feel that pain, but When it passes, the lesson is not to make sure that doesn't happen again. Let it happen again. Let it happen. Pour your passion into something, um, into your relationships, into other people, into what you do every day. Um, And you're going to be disappointed. Shoot, I've had some bumps over the years, man. Um, I I really have. Uh, But... um, you know, and there are some there are negative effects to that, negative effects that that I still I still deal with, stuff with my family, um, and uh, uh, you know th- things you can recognize. Oh wow, yeah, if that didn't happen earlier in my life, I probably wouldn't be this way that I am now. And I wish it were different, but that's all right, you know, you can identify that stuff. Um, and you can make things better little by little by little. I think that that that's the other thing. You talk about self-doubt, you know, not knowing what to do or or how to get out of it or, or, or not being grateful, not being grateful is kind of a whole separate thing. And we all, I mean, I feel like any American suffers from that to at least some extent. Um, You know, people complain all the time. I complain, you know, and it's just so stupid. Nobody's ever lived better than um, no one in history has ever lived better than the way Americans have lived over the last 150 years or so. There's been nothing else like it in world history. And we completely take it for granted. <laughs> you know, easy food, easy access to medicine. I mean, she, it, might, it might put you in the poorhouse, but you've got access to medicine that'll save your life um, in a way that for most of human history, dude, you step on a nail, you get tetanus, that's it. You know, um, or you accidentally cut your hand slice of vegetables that wound gets infected that's it sepsis kills you um but we take it for granted uh for some reason we all do it uh so not being grateful that's tough um it's that's a that's a hard one to solve but um you can make it different you just can it's it will require uh, like destination disciplines, the name of your podcast, right? Yeah. It will require some discipline. Um, whatever the case may be, um, it will require a little bit of it, and that's hard for modern people who live in America because our whole culture right now is built on not being disciplined. Um, we have cheap, tasty food within arm's reach. We have uh, loads of high quality programming and television and movies and all that stuff. Or you could sit down all day and consume this stuff and be, uh <clears throat> and be content, not really happy, but content. Um And you kind of, you could slide into a dark place where it's like, how did I become like this? Um What's the purpose of my life? Like what, you know, what am I doing? And it's, you can get out of it. It just, you have to embrace, embrace discomfort. And I don't, you know, the other problem with our culture is too many people try to go all the other way immediately. You know, it's like, man, I've been sitting around watching TV. I'm miserable, you know, and it's like I'm overweight or I'm doing this or that, or I've been dating people who are bad news. Well, now I'm not, dating anyone and I'm gonna live a keto diet and I'm gonna work out six times a week and I'm gonna, you know, completely not sustainable. And it's people try to embrace everything all at the same time and and make their lives better in six different ways all at once. And you can't, it's just nearly impossible. If you're not already used to discipline, if you're not already used to that kind of stuff, you're gonna fail. And then you're gonna fail and you're gonna feel even worse than you felt before. Um, so I, you know, to a person in that situation where maybe you've got three or four things that are just not in a good place in your life. Um, and again, that this on a case by case could be so different, you know, just pick one, (laughs) start with one and it's going to be hard because once you start with one, you're going to want to start with all the others too, but no, no, pick one, you pick one thing, um, you know, I am not going to allow people to talk to me like this anymore, or I'm not going to eat this food anymore, or how many hours, how many hours a day do I spend on my phone? Oh, this screen tracker tells me it's nine. That's crazy. Um, I may not be in great shape. I may not like my job, but I'm going to start with, I'm not spending nine hours a day on my phone. I'm going to make sure I don't get on the phone. I'm going to find other things to do with my time maybe that'll be cooking food. I've always kind of wanted to do that. Maybe that'll be, I start a workout routine and I stick to it. Uh, but you know, it's even then it might be a little bit too much to start. No phone and starting workout. Um, it's, it's an admirable thing to want to tackle all the problems you can identify all at once. But um, so I would say the storm will pass. That doesn't cheapen what you feel. It doesn't cheapen the alienation, you know. I, I think another thing about this culture is that it, it's it's programmed alienation. Uh, it's it, it separates us from people. Social media from real. people, You talked about having a real conversation with people. It's mm-hmm. we've never been more connected in certain ways, but we've never been more isolated. Um, where you just real human connection is hard. It's hard to find. It's hard to manage. Um, and it's, it's, you see, it, Hey, I understand, you know, if if you're feeling heartbreak or loss or self doubt, especially in the modern world, everything is easier, but in a way you can feel more isolated. Like you, you don't have a lot of people around who can sit down and talk and hang out with you. So I'm not. I don't want to dishonor that at all. And there are some ways psychologically in which it's tougher now than it's ever been before because people are so disconnected. But the storm will pass. It will change you a little bit. It will pass. And the if you if it's if it's stuff that's within your control pick one thing. Pick one thing and start consistently doing it. Just make it a thing that you consistently do. And, you know, maybe it's if, if like getting in shape. Um, I, you know, pick something like an event, register for it. Be Like, like I'm not going to worry about TV. I'm not going to worry about the phone. I am going to worry about putting in the hour a day necessary to prepare for this event. And then you're going to get to it. You're going to do the event. You're going to finish it. You're going to find out something about yourself. It's going to be a thing you accomplished. And now that hour a day you spent training is going to be habit. Keep that. Now maybe address the addiction to the phone, you know, or address uh, your, you know, your attitude problem with other people (laughs) Um, or, or you know, or school or or whatever it is, you know. Um, Does that make sense? Yes. I'm agreeing
0: with you. hundred percent. It's I'll add my little two cents on it, but it's almost like, have you ever heard of the story of like the Buffalo and the cow and uh-huh. how, so it talks about how the cow would run away from the storm. Like they'd sense a storm and they'd see the clouds. Right. If you could picture that the cow yes. would run away and the Buffalo would run towards the storm. And then the storm in your case is what you were talking about is like the hard times and everything. And the Buffalo would get hit first, but it'd get through it faster than the cow. And I think that is kind of the same thing you're trying to get at. I wish I, I wish I knew the quote. I kind of butchered it, but, um, and the other thing is the last guest that I had, he said the exact same thing about just pick one thing. That's really simple, not easy, but simple and just hit that hard every single day. And then it carries into momentum, which is what Jocko talks about yep. and all those people. So that was really good. I really liked that. You're very passionate. So thanks, man. Of course. I try um, to be. Yeah, I can see it and I guarantee that people can hear it. And um, just the last thing before we cut this off, where can
1: uh, people find you and your podcast? So I have a podcast. It's called The Edge of History. Um, I, I try to deal with uh, really cool, un, underrated things in history, um, and that spans from uh, ancient to medieval Europe, medieval Japan, um, uh, colonial America, all the way up to modern America. I've just done uh, thousands of hours of historical research over the course of my life, um, both as a student, a professional, and just in my spare time uh, as, a, as a hobby. Um, and I talk about those stories. Um <clears throat> uh, through my podcast, edgeofhistorypodcast.com. Um, I'm on, uh, social media, Twitter, uh, and Instagram as, uh, Centurion6246 is my handle. I've thought about changing it sometimes, but I kind of like the semi-anonymous Roman trooper, kind of, there you guys are, Roman trooper, <laughs> back to, uh, it's my appreciation for those Romans, man. Um, yep. Centurion6246, um, uh, I, I interact with um, modern news and other stuff there. And on Instagram, I post history stuff uh, on uh, <clears throat> through my Instagram handle. Little one-off odd history stories that I'm kind of thinking maybe I'd do a podcast on, but I'm not sure. But I kind of want to get them out there and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yes. And uh, Edge of History podcast is on Facebook as well.
0: Yeah. And I'll leave that down in like the show notes so people can check it out. Of course. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having or coming on. That was a good talk. I really liked it. So um,
1: thank you so much for having me, Gage. Thanks for reaching out and getting in touch. It's really good to hear from you, man.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Destination Discipline Podcast. If you found value in this episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you give us a follow and review on the platform of your choice. Either way, I appreciate you so much. And if you'd like to connect me with me or the guests, the information will be in the show notes below. Until next time, peace.